Hi, and welcome to Take Some Time Off with me, your host, Maeve. I am an educator, a yoga instructor, and wellness advocate who recently quit her job in New York City and moved across the country to Salt Lake City, Utah to take some time off. This podcast explores what it means to use my time productively and provides practical tips to make meaningful use of your time too. We'll talk about burnout, speak to people making subversive career choices, and reflect on wellness in society and in our lives. So come on, let's get mindful and be well. Get ready to take some time off. Hi all and good morning. Oh, it's morning when I'm recording this, which is funny. I don't usually record in the morning. Um, but I woke up early to talk to you about depression. <laughs> um, but anyway, I hope you are awesome. I am great. I am just finishing a long month of extra hours at work. Um, and I'm getting ready to go home to my hometown, Columbus, Ohio, for about a week and a half to chill with my family and friends. So I am feeling super stoked and I am excited to talk to you today about something that means so much to me. I'm also a little bit nervous. Um, but I think it's really important that we speak uh, speak about the hard things. And for me, that means talking about my experiences with depression and anxiety. And so that's what this episode is going to entail. I would give a content warning if you feel, um, like discussing depression and anxiety could make you feel worse. Um, this is a heads up for you. There's not really any violent, um, or explicit content, but, um, I know that sometimes when I'm listening to something about anxiety, it can make me feel more anxious. So just a heads up, um, that's what I'm going to be talking about this episode and I'm going to be talking about it because it has been exactly, maybe exactly in a few days, one year since I have been on, um, the same dose of the same medication to treat my depression and anxiety and I feel great. And I feel like I've learned so much through the process of trying to, um, understand what was happening with me, understand mental health better, understand mental illness. Um, and I feel like a better, stronger person because of it. And so I hope that by sharing my experience, um, with depression and anxiety that you might be, um, more understanding with your friends or family members who maybe are going through it, or if you're going through it or wondering if you are, maybe you can get some insights here about, um, you know, steps that you could possibly take or one way that recovery can look. Um, obviously I want to make a lot of disclaimers and I'm going to do that now. So first I just want to say that my experience is just one out of a range of experiences. Um, and that my experiences with depression, though hard, were definitely very moderate, um, on, I know what this scale can be. So, um, just calling that out and just making you aware that 
this is just one piece, right? And um, if you personally are struggling with depression, I'm going to link a bunch of um, resources in the show notes, but um, my biggest advice would be to seek a professional. Um, that's really what got me through it. Um, and loving friends and family who encouraged me to see a professional, but, um, you know, just like you wouldn't ignore, uh, a long-term broken ankle, like you, um, ignoring a, a mental illness is, um, you know, it won't necessarily get better on its own. It's something that needs often, it needs support through a bunch of different, um, resources that a professional can link you to. Um, and then one, one thought that always comes to my mind, if you hear my cat meowing, <sighs> Margot has been just meowing nonstop for like weeks. <laughs> we don't know why. She wants to play all the time, I think. Anyway, so heads up. I can't, if I could get her to stop, I would have a long time ago. Um, but um, I know that one issue with seeing a professional is not being able to afford it. And I have been there um, and that's real. Um, that shouldn't necessarily stop you from seeking treatment though. There's lots of different ways to um, find low cost options. I'm going to link this like article that I found that's really helpful for that. But some ideas are one, what I've always done is just tell, um, a therapist that I matched with based on like, um, psychology today, or just someone that took my insurance when I had insurance. Um, I would tell them upfront, like what I could pay. And then they would tell me if they could match that. And a lot of times what's really badass and, you know, you got to trust that the therapist is not going to offer you something that they can't afford, but, um, they'll give you like their base rate or their lowest thing, lowest that they can go. Um, if it's for like a out of financial need. So I think I've paid $60 every time that I've seen a therapist. Um, and that was about at therapists who usually went at about a hundred dollars or 120 an hour. Um, I've also seen interns several times and you know, there's pros and cons of that, but I had an amazing experience with an intern and that was the, the cheapest option. Um, similarly, like you can go to a university and go to a training center. I mean, again, sucks that we don't have healthcare that makes, you know, the best clinicians available to everybody, but, um, that'll do right. And, and if you feel like you need to see somebody, someone in training, um, can still be really helpful. Um, you can check out something like Talkspace or Better Health um, online resources that are usually cheaper. You can check out Clinic. Um, so there are options. It's tricky though, I hear you. And um, if you want help navigating that, I can give you my best advice um, online if you contact me at Take Some Time Off Podcast. But um, I would say don't just assume that you can't make it work because. Um, having a professional insight on what's going on, um, even if it's like one session can really do a lot. So that's my advice in case you were wondering and were asking for it. Um, and then I also wanted to upfront, um, mention suicide. Um, like I said, I, that's 
I don't have, I didn't have many experiences with suicidal ideation or anything like that. Um, so you won't hear it a lot in the episode, but I want to make it, make everyone aware that there are resources for when you are experiencing suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts. Um, there's actually, um, so the, the resource for that is, um, 1-800-273-8255 and that's the suicide hotline that's also a resource for people who know someone um who is experiencing suicidal thoughts so um if you're a caretaker or you're worried about a friend or if if it's you I think that's a good resource to start with and their website too at the suicide national suicide hotline also has a lot of stuff. And then I just wanted to also point out that this isn't unusual. My experience is very, very, very common. Actually one in five adults in the U S um, will experience mental illness each year. One in five. So think of five people, you know, I mean, I know that's not how statistics work, but, um, and 18% of adults in the U.S. have experienced an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. Um, that can be like generalized anxiety or post-traumatic stress or obsessive compulsive disorder, um, specific phobias, um, 18%. Uh, at some point in their lifetime, it'll be about 50% of Americans diagnosed with mental illness. Um, and mental illnesses such as depression are the third most common cause of hospitalization in the U S for those aged 18 to 44. And, um, the, the reality can be really serious. Um, adults living with serious mental illness can die on average 25 years earlier than others. That's not us. Um, but something to know. So this is something that is way more common than a lot of people think. I think it's mental health is something we should be talking about every single day um, with our loved ones, at work, at school, um, because the same way that you tell someone if you you're, have strep throat, right? I think you should be able to tell someone that you've been having a lot of obsessive thoughts of making it hard to do your job. And so my, my aim is by talking about it now, we can just get a little closer to that time when, um, we'll be able to freely address, um, what's going on with us and our mental health and, uh, even the good stuff, even when we're in a great mental health day, um, and have it not be stigmatized. So that's my soap box. Okay, and without further ado, um, I just want to tell you my story. So gather around, put some logs in the fire, and let's talk about anxiety and depression. Um, okay, so I think when I, th when I look back at my journey with mental health, I would say that I maybe experienced some forms of anxiety back to ch in childhood, but 
Um, I think I was able to, for the most part, channel it really successfully through schoolwork. So if I was feeling anxious or overwhelmed, um, I just studied hard and that's a place where you're kind of rewarded for being anxious, right? Cause it's like, oh man, like I'm so stressed out. I'm going to study for this test, like three extra hours longer than I need to. Um, cause I'm worried and worried that I won't do well and worried about what that means. And then you do really well. So, um, then you just keep doing it. And that was kind of my experience with anxiety. Um, I also come from a family where, um, my mom, who's amazing and will be on the podcast later in the season. Um, she's a social worker. And so she has, and my aunt who was right there along with her raising me, she is a therapist. And so I had an understanding that mental health um, was important and that mental illness was a reality for many people, um, when I was young. And I think that's really helpful because when I started experiencing symptoms, I had the background to, uh, think like, oh, whoa, maybe this is something outside of me or like bigger than just me. And maybe it's something I need to talk to someone about. So that was a big privilege that I'm, I'm really grateful that I had. Um, my mom has also struggled a lot with mental health in her past and has overcome a lot of anxiety and depression. And so, um, I have her as an inspiration. I have her as someone to talk to. Um, and so that's, that's an amazing kind of piece to my story. Um, so anyway, I went to college. I did super awesome in school uh, and definitely channeled my anxiety there. But I think when I can trace my mental health to the shifting was I, I studied abroad in Paris my junior year and um, it was a wild, amazing time. I like experienced so much for the first time and I kind of like allowed myself to be more free and open and I did less schoolwork and more living and um, it was incredible. Um, it was a lot in one, you know, semester or like six months or so. And so I, I wonder if maybe part of that is, is why I kind of felt triggered when I got back or maybe it was just um, like maybe it was all catching up to me. But for whatever reason, I studied abroad. I got back that summer um, going into my senior year of college and I just didn't feel good. I remember telling one of my friends, like, I just feel sad. And there's, I didn't have a reason behind it. It just generally felt sad. Like my, my outlook on life had just kind of uh, dimmed very suddenly and without a lot of reason other than just the adjustment to being back. I dealt with that for a little bit on my own. I think as I've talked about in an earlier episode, I channeled some of that through um, eating. So I would, I took on some pretty strict diets. Um, That's actually when I tried veganism for the first time and I'm grateful for that. But I think that I was trying to, you know, resolve the problem in, in the ways that I thought I knew how. And then school started and I was distracted, but still just generally not feeling the same. I just didn't feel myself. Um, 
And eventually, I think I had this kind of like outburst. I actually know I had this outburst. <laughs> I'll be real. Um, I was crying on the couch in my apartment. My friend came over. I love you, Parker. He came over. And I was just crying with like uh, about really big stuff, like about like the state of the world um, in a way that didn't feel like I, I didn't really understand why it was happening. And that's not to say that like people don't need to cry it out sometimes, like we all do. Um, but this was something different. It felt like, like something was kind of taking over me that wasn't me. Like um, my rational and like deepest and truest emotional self was like, whoa, something's up. So, Around then, I saw a therapist for the first time ever. Actually, that's not true. I saw a therapist for like three weeks um, after my freshman year of college. Um, I asked my mom if I could go because adjusting to school was hard and didn't get much out of it. Um, didn't love it at all. <laughs> and I don't, and I wanted to sort of transfer schools and I didn't transfer schools. So then I was like, whatever. Um, but it was like a two or three session thing. And a lot of times, like if you've never seen a therapist, it's usually like a two to six month process. Um, some people stay in therapy forever and that's awesome. But um, if you're doing like a short term therapy, it's, yeah, it's usually longer than a couple sessions. Um, because it takes a couple, couple sessions just to get to know someone. It takes, you know, like a couple hours to, to trust someone um, in life. So anyway. Senior year, I saw a therapist. She was cool. She did a lot of work with me on mindfulness. And I think more than anything, she just made me aware of the fact that mental health was something that I could and should be taking seriously. And that like, even though I would, I presented as like quote unquote normal at the, like at my understanding at the time, like, you know, I wasn't counting my steps or, um, you know, experiencing bulimia or something like that, um, which are more shown in, in like media as like, that's what mental health is like your mental illness is. It's like when people, you know, like true life, I have obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> it's like, that is reality for a lot of people. And it's also not something that we should be like voyeuring into, but, um, but for a lot of people, it's just, not feeling quite right and, um, needing a tune up or needing a check-in or needing some more education about steps and coping mechanisms. So, um, that was my big takeaway. Like, whoa, I, this is something I should be a little more clued into. And then I moved to New York. I moved to New York two days after I graduated college. So it was like a big thing. Like it was a lot at once again. Um, and I think that triggered a lot of my, um, of my anxiety and depression. I am, but I had a great support system. I met amazing friends. I had a lot going on. So for the first like six months or so, I think I was kind of like thriving. Um, and then I started to notice some very unusual for me things. A lot of thoughts repeated thoughts about like medical issues, um, repeated thoughts about like whether or not my cut was going to get infected or um, like staying up 
really late at night worrying about kind of irrational medical concerns. And so that's kind of where my anxiety got channeled. I'm not quite sure how that happened, um, but it did. And I think looking back, going to a, like a regular job, I was a teacher, which was, it was a really stressful environment, but also um, I didn't have something like grades to kind of validate that like I'm working hard I'm stressing about it and it's paying off it was more like I'm working hard I'm stressing about it it's still hard I'm still working hard I'm still stressing about it over and over and over um and I think I needed something else to to channel like the anxiety that I was feeling and, I, and for whatever reason it latched on to like medical concerns um I like took myself to urgent care a couple of times that year for like random things and then I had my first panic attack. Um, oh, those days, my first panic attack. <laughs> no, but I actually like I'm, I'm grateful for it because I think it, it made me aware like, whoa, I need to check this out. It was after my first year teaching. I was headed home. I think it was Labor Day weekend. School was about to start again the next week. So it was a lot of stress, a lot of... Um, Con context that was making it hard and that's another thing that's really interesting about mental health versus physical health um is it's not one or the other it's not like you're just born with it or at, at least my experiences it's not you're just born with it and it's not oh you're just in a really stressful time it's both right so if you have an existing condition like anxiety or depression that flares up sometimes and then you're in a crazy situation maybe something really sad happens someone you know dies or um, your work is really challenging or you're having a really strained relationship with someone you love those are all context contextual situations that will make those symptoms can make those symptoms aggravated so it's interesting that way because like if your foot's broken it's just broken and it doesn't like matter like what kind of ground you walk on, right? But um, but with mental health, it's a little bit of everything, and so that can that's I think another reason why it can be stigmatized or brushed under the rug. And it's like, oh no, you're just like really stressed at work. Well, I was really stressed at work, but um, my experiences dealing with it were not healthy or really bearable and so that's when you know that you need to figure something out and, and see see a professional so basically for me what happened was it was so scary Ugh, thinking about it stresses me out got on a plane to go home and i just started feeling like i couldn't breathe and it came out of nowhere i wasn't like sitting there ruminating on anything i think i was like listening to music i was relaxing but i felt like i couldn't breathe the plane hadn't taken off yet, and I just felt this really, really drastic tightness in my throat. And I thought, shit, like, uh, uh, maybe I need to stop the plane. Like, maybe I should tell them that I need to get off, which then, you know, made me feel even more anxious and, and panicked. And um, thinking about the tightness in my throat was making me feel a lot worse. I remember asking the, the sewers for water and kind of like gauging like whether she thought I was dying. She didn't look like she thought I was dying. Thankfully, just before we lost in service, I Googled like anxiety and shortness of breath and like throat constriction. And it was like, oh yeah, that's, an, that's a reality people experience. And so I had in my head that like, okay, maybe this is just anxiety, maybe. Or maybe I'm seriously dying and I kind of was 
like literally resigned to that at that point with the plaintiff office. Like, okay, well, like I hope this is anxiety because otherwise I can't breathe and I'm going to pass out and die. Um, and thankfully for me, <laughs> it was anxiety. It was a panic attack and I had no clue what that was, what that felt like until it happened to me. And, um, it was horrible. And that was my big wake up call. Like, oh man, I need to see a professional and figure out what's going on and how to get some skills to, to calm down because it was such a terrifying experience at the two hours on that plane, like not knowing. And my throat did not, like it really didn't stop, um, feeling like it was closed. Um, and thinking about now, I'm straight up, I'm having some tightness in my chest. It was really intense. Whew. Um, but I'm grateful for that because it, it made me realize that I definitely needed to see a therapist. Um, and I was going home, so I talked to my mom about it and she was really helpful because she is very aware of mental health and, um, it's realities and realities of treating it. And so I went back to New York and that year about that November. So a couple of months later, I found a therapist and we worked through a ton of issues about how to deal with anxiety, stuff from my past that I just needed to let go of. Um, I kind of learned a lot of new terms and learned a lot of ways of looking at the world that I hadn't learned before, like dealing with my perfectionism. Um, we did a lot of work with mantras or like affirmations, which I totally loved and needed at the time. And so it would be something like, um, she actually had me look at a list of like negative thought patterns that are not helpful. Like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or, um, my thoughts are not valid or whatever they were and had me pick out which ones like rang true to me, which was really powerful in itself. And then we came up with alternative thought patterns, um, that I could repeat to myself. And that was just so helpful. Again, it was just like so empowering to have these skills and tools to learn how to deal with my, what I had been experiencing and didn't really realize. Um, and so we did a lot of that. We also did this really cool thing, um, like internal, internal family therapy or like talking to your internal family. So she would talk about like having an internal parent and internal child. Um, and we would like talk to my little baby self and tell her that she was okay. Or we would be my internal parent and, um, you know, tell myself what I wanted to hear or needed to hear. Um, so it was amazing. Um, it wasn't a, a great, great time. And, um, towards the end, like, I remember her saying like, you know, when you came in here, you'd be sobbing every single time. And now you're like, you know, functional, <laughs> which I guess was her gauge of my success. But I did feel better. And, um, it was around that time that I decided to accept a Fulbright grant and teach in South Korea.
I was towards the end of my second year in New York City and was getting the hang of living there, had made some new friends and support systems, and then using these new skills through therapy was better able to address and regulate my thoughts, especially anxious ones. Um, But as fate would have it, or who knows what, um, it was also around that time where I found out that I had been accepted for this kind of chance opportunity that I never thought um, would actually come through, which was a Fulbright teaching assistantship in South Korea. Uh, So I went back and forth for forever about whether or not I wanted to accept it and ultimately decided I couldn't say no to an opportunity to live in Korea for a year and have um, so many resources given to me and it's just such a privilege that I couldn't turn down. Um, So I decided to go. And it was through that process of moving um, like half a world away and being away from everyone I knew and loved and everything I was used to for the most part um, that I came to experience for the first time or at least came to terms with for the first time um, depression. So uh, I got to Korea. I was super worried, but... I had a bunch of mindfulness and like wellness techniques that I was like prepared to use. So basically I had felt like I was just getting to a place where I was solid in terms of my mental health, my anxiety, but I wasn't quite there yet. So I knew going into it that this was going to be a struggle that might not go over well. Um, and so as soon as I got there, I was really big on like meditating, exercising, yoga, reading, like doing whatever I could to maintain, um, my being. Um, but as the year went on, it got harder and harder to do that. And I think for me, I think the big piece honestly was therapy. Um, I mean, in addition to like not in New York, not having like moved to a different country far, far away. But, um, I think that huge change in conjunction with not being in therapy all of a sudden, um, really had a huge impact on me and on my mental health. So within maybe two months, I started to get panic attacks again. Um, I had one horrible, horrible night where I was sure that I was having a heart attack which like, I don't know if you don't, if if you've never had severe anxiety sounds ridiculous. And like, I know, and even at the time I knew it was ridiculous, but there are these thoughts that just can't, um, let go. And the longer that they sit in your brain, the kind of deeper they install themselves in you. And, Uh, it's just a spiral into really believing that it's true. So for me, I think it was late at night. I was tired, probably I'd had a hard day and I started to feel a sensation in my arm and in my chest. And again, another really crazy and hard thing about anxiety is that you do feel physical symptoms that are also symptoms of physical illness. Like it's a, a psychosomatic. And so I thought that it was either anxiety or a heart attack. And then more and more, I thought like, well, if I'm having a heart attack, I should do something about it, right? 
and eventually they called my family in the states couldn't get a hold of anybody called my brother um finally talked to him and and he's not really used to dealing with me having panic attacks it's not usually something i have to reach out to him about and he was like well you know the likelihood of you having a heart attack right now is pretty small um it's probably anxiety um but that was another night that just, um, or another experience that really stuck with me and still does. It just makes me sad. Just then I think in the same way that you would like look at a, a kid in a kindergarten class who's like, it's the first day of school and they're terrified and there's nothing to be scared of, but of course they're scared. And I kind of like look back on myself like, oh man, that sucks. It was a shitty feeling to have. And I have so much sympathy for for people who have more severe and more frequent panic attacks because it's a really rough feeling. Um, so anyway, I was getting really anxious, and then and I just remember feeling like constantly like my stomach was in knots. Like I remember telling um, I think my brother actually too that it felt constantly like I was about to go into an interview. Like that was the level of um, anxiety that I just held around all day. Um, like my stomach's in knots, my chest is tight. I'm like overthinking about everything going on. And it was so uncomfortable to live with. Um, and I think that's like one of the, one of the characteristics that stands out to me about anxiety too, is it's just really uncomfortable. And even if you can rationalize it away and like know logically what's true and what's not sitting with such high levels of discomfort is really, really, really hard. So, um, that's kind of what I was going through. And in retrospect, like it makes a ton of sense. Like I was so far away and completely alone. I was living with a host family who spoke mostly Korean. Um, so I really felt like from the the moment that I woke up to the moment that I went to bed, I was alone. So I continued on with my grant year and I tried so hard to appreciate it because it was this crazy opportunity I would never get again. And I traveled a ton. I went to India and Cambodia and Thailand and um, all over Korea and Japan. And um, at some point, I think probably at least what makes sense to me is that that anxiety got so hard to bear that it shut off. And what happened instead is that about halfway or a little more than halfway through my, my year in Korea, I just went numb. Um, so I noticed that I wasn't really anxious anymore, but instead I was just sad, um, like inexplicably. Um, and I just, my overall mood, my interest in doing things decreased like rapidly. I started getting really intense social anxiety, just didn't want to see people, um, wanted to sleep or watch TV, mostly watch TV. I didn't sleep well the whole time I was there. Um, but wanted to be in my room with the door shut and, um, I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, I just felt sad. Eventually I started noticing that I was also feeling a lot of like self-loathing and like, feelings of self-worth that got really bad. Um, I'm lucky to have been so informed about mental health and um, surrounded by lots of people who know and care about and know how to deal with mental health that um, 
I never considered suicide. And that is like such a real thing for so many people, but I did have feelings and it's so sad for me to, to say this, but I think it's important because it's all part of the experience and it's also very common. I did feel like sometimes like why, why am I alive or I don't even know if I should be alive. Um, and that's so sad <laughs> to think about, but, um, it's part of what's a real illness, which is depression, right? And so at that time, I didn't know that I was experiencing depression, but I knew that these thoughts weren't healthy and I knew that I was ready to get the heck home. And I just thought that, you know, I had had enough and I needed more support and I needed a therapist and I needed my friends and family and I just needed to get home. And so I think the depression really sunk in around March and I was, I left in the beginning of July. So it wasn't too much longer to stick out. And of course there were like great days stuck between those and great moments and hard ones too. Um, but I'm grateful for it all and I'm fine. Right. So I guess I'm reassuring myself (laughs) that, um, those times so hard were, were okay. Right. Because I'm here. Um, and I'm so grateful for the people I was able to talk to both in Korea. One of them primarily being, um, my current partner who we began dating, um, dating long distance. And, um, now I live with him. So, um, obviously amazing things came out of that experience too. But when I, was done with the grant year. I was so ready to come back to New York city. And I just knew that once I got there, everything would be right again. And so I came back to New York that fall. And for a moment they were, I got right into a new job. Again, it was a really fast, quick, intense transition, um, back to the States, back to a job. Didn't even have an apartment when I started working, I was staying with a friend who, like, again, this amazing support system I have, and she's incredible. I love you, Julie. Um, But I was happy. I felt like I was back where I belonged, doing what I was doing. Everything was easy. I could, like, speak English and um, call people in my time zone and whatever. Um, And I remember looking around New York maybe the first month I got back and just being like, how could anyone be unhappy here. Um, dun, dun, duh. <laughs> and a couple months later, uh, the depression came back and I think kind of just like the honeymoon phase of being back in the States were off. And, um, throughout that whole year, um, that followed, I just had those same feelings of just like antisocial, lethargic things that I used to love to do. Didn't interest me anymore, like running and yoga and being with people and socializing, even teaching, which I was doing. Um, and like looking back and repeating, you know, what I was feeling, it's like, those are all just checklist symptoms of depression. But even then I just didn't really know that that's what was going on. I knew that I had anxiety and anxiety, I guess I felt more comfortable with because one, it was less scary. Like suicide is such a scary reality, um, for people that I know and for, um, so many people in society. And so I think I've always linked depression and suicide and thought that like, 
what is the worst case scenario. And um, so anxiety, on the other hand, I feel like people talk about it. People even who don't like have an anxiety disorder will say like, I'm so anxious about this or I have tons of anxiety, right? Like it's a, it's a more culturally accepted issue. And so I think that's part of why I was like, I'm, I have anxiety and that's it. Um, but it just didn't get any better. And I just didn't like my life. I didn't like my life, right? So um, I went home in April. I like to do a couple of trips a year back home to ground myself. I went home around my birthday. And I love like going to my same places that I've always gone to growing up, like the bakeries and vegan restaurants and coffee shops, whatever. And so my mom had a little early birthday party for me because she's amazing. And um, my family came over and we had like silly unicorn plates and I got my favorite cake from my favorite vegan bakery. And I don't know, I don't remember like what exactly happened. Nothing, nothing significant happened. But towards the end of this little get together, I walked up to my room in my like family home, got into bed and was just sobbing. (laughs) And eventually I think my mom came upstairs and was like, what's wrong? And I was just like, I'm just not happy. And I think that was the breaking point. And like, once again, and, and it's helpful to like lay out this whole narrative because I can see these huge like beacons of light in my story. And a huge one of them was my mother. Right. And in that moment, I don't know, I don't remember now, like if it was that day or the next day or whatever, but she started talking to me about treating getting treated for depression and that you know these feelings were beyond the scope of like what I could handle they were longer than um what you can handle like I think the and like look this up (laughs) but I think the metric is like three weeks like you can be sad for three weeks like maybe you're going to break up or someone died um and obviously grief is like a whole another thing so I don't know but um but if you're having just ongoing months long feelings of apathy and uh, fatigue and sadness, then it's worth thinking about whether or not you're experiencing like a major depressive uh, episode, which I was. So I went to my family um, physician, which is one good way. Like if you are feeling sad and need something like want to try medication, a family physician can, um, give that to you. So at least in my case. So, um, I think that's kind of helpful because it's like, you don't have to go through the whole process of finding a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Like if you have a trusted doctor, um, they're able to prescribe antidepressants. And so I went in, I just like listed the things I was feeling. And he was like, yeah, it sounds like depression. Um, let's try Soloft. So I went back to New York with this medication in hand and really ready to monitor it. Very scared and skeptical of taking medication to regulate my brain and just kind of had society's just overarching comments on that. Like I felt weak. I felt insane. I felt um, like I was cheating because I should be able to deal with it um, through non-chemical uh, steps and, um, all of that was really hard. Um, but within like five weeks, I felt like a literal cloud lifted from my head. And I know this is not the experience for lots of people. Um, 
but I'm so lucky to say, and that's why I think it's kind of interesting to tell my story because it's kind of like a, um, like a perfect trajectory of like, she experiences mental health and then she like gets treatment and she's better. Um, so it was interesting because I know that's not the case for lots of people, but for me, I seriously felt so much better. And I remember telling my brother, like, I just felt like, yeah, like I could see things more clearly. I could see the positive as well as the negative. I could laugh more freely. Um, I could see humor in things. I, um, uh, I just felt lighter. I felt like, um, the way that I looked at things was just lighter. And I mean, to me, that was the, that was the sign that I needed to know that I was experiencing a real, a real, that's in quotation marks because it's all real. It's all, if you're having, uh, unbearable symptoms, then anything that you feel like you need to make, to feel better, I think is, is okay as long as it's safe. Um, but anyway, I was like, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. That was depression. And it also helped that I had been doing all of these, um, mental health, uh, like wellness routines anyway. Cause then it was like, you know what? I'm doing yoga. I'm meditating. I think at that point I was back in with a therapist. Yes, I was. I think. Oh, I was seeing my old therapist and then the next year I found a new one, but I was in therapy and it was like, all of that stuff was probably making me better than I would have been if I didn't, but I needed something else. And for me, it was medication. Um, so I started feeling better and, and it was like the interesting thing too, is like, there's context, there's like situational depression and then there's, um, depression that's just part of either your DNA or, um, your mood or your past experiences combined, but, um, but doesn't just depend on your circumstances. So for me, it was like my circumstances didn't change. I still was starting to feel like I didn't belong in New York. I really missed my partner who was living in Utah. I, um, noticed that I like didn't have as many friends as I had before because so much had changed from before I left Korea until after. So like my life didn't get better situationally. I just took the medication that I needed to feel better. Um, and I did. And then like another really clear sign for me was, um, I got nervous about taking it and I stopped taking it for like two or three days. And I was talking to my mom on the phone and I was sobbing on the streets of New York city, talking to her about like my future and how I wanted to move. And like, what am I doing here? And she was like, did you take your medicine? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not taking it. And she was like, Maeve, that's really unsafe. Cause I mean, and that's one thing to think about and it's kind of stressful is like once you start and then you go off, it's like a big shock to your brain because it finally got the serotonin it needed and then it doesn't happen anymore. And so she was like, what you're feeling right now is the result of like being off of meds suddenly. And, and there are safe ways to get off. Like it's obviously you're not stuck forever. You have to taper it down. You have to be ready for it. But I had just started to feel good for like two weeks and then stopped. Um, was another indicator for me, like I needed to go ahead and, and stick with it. So at that point I didn't have insurance. I had to buy it out of pocket, um, total big pain. And I know again, like privileged to even be able to do that. Um, 
And then I started feeling better. And over the summer, I got a new job. Um, I thought like this is going to really kind of be the change that I needed um, to kind of put me at a really great place. And then like as often does with mental illness, like it shifted and I was feeling sad again. And um, I was seeing a nurse practitioner because a family doctor can only prescribe uh, mental health medication for so long. They need you to see as someone who's more trained in mental health, or at least that's how mine was. I think that's how it should be um, because there's tons to know about physical and mental health. And I can't imagine that one person could know everything. Um, so anyway, I was seeing a nurse practitioner and he was like, well, if we're feeling sad, oftentimes you just need to up the dosage. Like after a little bit of time, it can happen that you need to, uh, the effects can kind of fade and you need to up it. So what followed was this whole past year, uh, or the year before I moved to Salt Lake City. So I guess almost two years ago now, I spent the whole year, like one, figuring out a new job figuring out what I wanted in terms of like my life situation, but also figuring out the right dosage for me for medication. And it turned out that I had to up it like a whole bunch. And every time I did, I was so embarrassed, like all those feelings of shame about taking medication, like and I'm weak, that I can't handle it, that I'm cheating. Like I just felt like I was cheating. Like I wasn't working hard enough at feeling better on my own that I needed this medicine. Um, but it was so evident that I was helping that I did it anyway. Um, and so I upped my dosage a whole bunch to the point where by the end of the year, I'd started at 50 milligrams. By the end of the year, I'd started at 200, I ended at 200 and that's where I am now. Um, but what I found was that at 200, I was pretty stable. And at the same time, all that year, I saw a new therapist. Um, she was an intern. She was amazing. She was just like the support that I needed at that time in my life that I wasn't getting in as much as I needed in New York. Not to say they didn't have amazing, beautiful friends and amazing family on the phone, but she was just this consistent, you talk to her for an hour about everything that you need to work through. And she just kind of like believed in me, um, validated me. I mean, it was less of what my first therapist did, which was like retrain my brain and look into past experiences and analyze what I had picked up and what I was carrying with me that I didn't need to carry. It wasn't that it was more just like day to day support and, um, processing my feelings and also processing how I felt about being in the city. That's a lot of what we talked about. And ultimately it was with her, with her help. And, um, I hope she knows this. I know she knows this. Um, it was with her help that I decided to move and I decided, you know, like all the good things I have here don't, um, outweigh the, the cons of living in the city for me, the pain, the kind of like anxiety it causes me, the isolation I feel, and it was time to make a change. So these kinds of, these two paths kind of intertwined really beautifully where I was making these huge life changes. I was also making chemical changes in my brain. Um, so that by the end of that year, this past summer, I was like good to go. Um, and by that, I mean like I was fine. I think that's another like misnomer or a myth is that like if you're on antidepressants and you're just like happy all the time and like I want to reiterate that I, I think 
for most people and definitely for me that was not the case I didn't feel happier I just felt more able to be happy so I still had like bad days I still had good days I just was like more able to see my emotions and regulate them and where I felt like before my ability to like be okay was kind of shut off I was just able to access that um so I was able to like acknowledge when things were fine or just like laugh or have a mix of a good and a bad day instead of just a bad day um so by the end of the summer I was at a point where I was able to just take a step back from my situation on a day-to-day basis and like analyze what was working and what wasn't with a clear level head and that's what I feel like uh, the medication did for me And then I had this big transition of moving to Salt Lake City. And I have to say, and I'm proud of myself for this, like it was the smoothest transition of my life. And I did a lot of things differently this time. I made it really long. I had like three and a half months to prepare. I had thought about it, but once I had made my decision, I wasn't second guessing it like I had in the past, like when I went to Korea. Um, I made a point to every day write in my journal. And again, like I was keeping up with all these wellness practices at the same time too it wasn't like a one fix it was like a seven fix kind of deal and so I was journaling every day and and journaling one thing I was happy about living in the city and one thing I was looking forward to in my move so it was it was trying to be really present during this big shift in my life but still doing yoga I was still meditating um and all of that combined set me up for success so that when I moved to Salt Lake City this fall I felt great and I have to say like I feel 10 times happier than I did this time last year I would say or definitely this time two years ago that's my story (laughs) um those that's my experience with depression and anxiety and um thank you for listening if you did thanks for letting me share i have to admit i recorded half of this in the morning i had to stop it felt really hard and then i came back to it and i was anxious about going back to these like really hard and scary parts of my life and now that i've gotten to the tail end where i'm like oh but here i am and i feel good uh i'm happy and i'm proud of that and i hope that if you are somewhere along that journey where you're not at the part where you feel good um know that it's coming and i'm also like prepared and i think we all or anyone who experiences issues with mental health should be prepared for ups and downs right like i'm starting school in the fall i don't know for certain that I'll feel anxiety again, but I could see it happening and I'm aware of that, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not like cured. It's an ongoing thing. Um, But I feel every day that I'm in a better place to handle my issues with mental health. And I think that's what's really important. So if you are experiencing any kind of issues with mental health, one, reach out to a loved one talk to them sometimes just talking about it can be a great first step two i would say try to talk to a professional and three if you want to reach out to me i am in no way a professional but i would be happy to give you some resources or pass along some resources um and i actually have a bunch in the show notes for you to get started 
Um, I think the important thing is to know that you're not alone. What you're feeling is real. What you're feeling is valid. You're not weird or weak. It's so common for you to be feeling that way. And I know how hard it is. And I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. Um, But there's hope. And uh, depression and anxiety and all mental health issues are real physical and emotional issues in your body that can get better and can be treated, right? Um, And I hope that you find the treatment that you need. And if you know someone who may be experiencing these symptoms, please share these resources with them. Please try to be open and understanding with them. I think that's like one thing that sticks out in my story was all the people who heard me saying like, oh man, I think I have a blood infection or oh my God, I'm having a heart attack or I'm not happy and there's nothing wrong with my life and I'm just not happy and didn't laugh at me or say tough it up or like let it go. They heard me and acknowledged it. And I think without them, I don't know that I would have had the strength to do that on my own. So if you can be that person for someone else, um, the world needs more of you doing that. And just listening and validating someone's feelings can go a long, long way to feeling better. I want to end the stigma against mental health. I hope this helps. I hope this helped you. Um, I'm going to get off. I talked for an hour straight. Oh my gosh. If you want to talk more, hit me up on Instagram at Take Some Time Off Podcast, my website, www.mavewall.com. I'm about to be a broke PhD student. So if you'd like to fund me and this podcast, the making of this podcast, um, you can hit me up on Patreon at Take Some Time Off on Patreon and you can become a patron. Um, any of those are really helpful, but really first things first, take care of yourself. If you or anyone you love is suffering from mental illness, there is support out there for you. I love you. Um, Margo loves you and that's why she's meowing so effing much and, um, have a good day. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.